All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. This time it's episode 46. I know things have been a little bit busy for me, and it's been a struggle the last couple two weeks starting to get into finals gear. But today, I got a Maris soccer player today. Uh, how are you doing today, first of all? I'm doing great. How are you doing? It's starting to get to the end of the year, so it's, it should be interesting as we look forward to the end of the year. But obviously, I mentioned kind of on the Maris soccer team, what is the stage kind of right now, not necessarily in season, kind of in the off season, but still having, you know, spring practices and everything? Yeah, I feel like right now it's kind of a little bit of a building phase because we do have a new coach. And so it's kind of trying to figure out how she wants to work with us, how we want to work with her. So it's been a lot of fun this spring, but we do a practice at six in the morning. So it's kind of been rough waking up early like that every single day, mm-hmm. but it's been a lot of fun because it's something new. How is the how is the scheduling um different with the new coaching staff trying to get their plans and gears? Is it is it a huge transition um in sense of scheduling? How how is that kind of process like, you know, getting a new coach and kind of figuring out what their um you know, kind of strategy and viewpoints kind of on on the game are? Yeah. I would say it's kind of a big difference. We're playing a different formation than we have played in the past. And I think it's one that could work, which is definitely exciting because we have the same personnel, but we're using people in different places. So it'll be interesting to see when the fall comes, like how it all comes into place because we only have five games in the spring and everyone plays, everyone's getting moving, moving around to different spots. And so it's definitely interesting to see how it's all going to unfold, but it's exciting. And then obviously going to be an upperclassman next year. You're going to be a senior this year, junior. What is, how is that process like, you know, it being the end of your kind of college soccer career and having a new coach? Is that like, what is, what was your headspace kind of going through the process? Were you more like rejuvenated? Was it kind of frustrating because you got to kind of go through the motions, you know, being at your last year, what was kind of your mindset of kind of the, you know, entire kind of change? Personally, it was a little frustrating just because even though I am a junior, this is my third new coach because my old coach didn't recruit my class. We actually got recruited by someone else who left before we even got here. So right from the bat coming to Marist, we were under a coach who didn't recruit us or didn't know us. So having a third coach is just kind of like this weight off my shoulders of like, oh, again. But I know overall from a team perspective, we needed a change. And so with the team in mind, like, it's something that I can kind of get over of, oh, this is frustrating that I have to have this whole new coach for the third time trying to prove myself again and again with someone that doesn't know me. But overall, as a team, it's what we needed best. So when we talk about you're going to be a senior next year, what is kind of the recruiting process? Do the coaches have you? you involved what is that kind of recruiting process like just for a new coach you know having you be be at Marist for three seasons are you involved at all what is kind of your role I guess in recruiting is there no involvement what 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 do you kind of do um for the for the new coaching staff knowing that you've been there for three years a lot longer than you know most of the other players and the coaching staff yeah I mean right now my coach is really looking at people who are juniors in high school looking to become committed because seniors in high school are already committed by now they're about to graduate high school so it's kind of weird because these juniors that she's looking at I'm not going to play with them because I'll be graduated so it's like she sends out tours and asks for people to help and obviously I want to help as much as I can but it is a weird thing of oh come here but like I'm not going to be your teammate 
And obviously it's still important because I want the school to have a good legacy when I'm not here, but it's definitely a little bit weird. Yeah. And, and it's just weird in general when you see these recruit just in college sports, you see all this recruitment and it seems like the, you know, upperclassmen always kind of recruiting, you know, during the admitted students day, everything was all about getting students here. And I was, I was in obviously doing one of the things for the sports communication department. And I just always found it so weird. All the seniors are talking and it's like, well, I'm still going to be here. Like, uh, it's not like the entire thing is. So what is your kind of mindset on like making sure people go here, but making sure that they know that you're not going to be there when they come? What is that kind of process of like getting to know them, making sure they're coming here, but also, you know, keeping it in their head that, hey, you know, I'm not going to necessarily be there, you know, for you in the in the process. Yeah, I would say that even though I'm not going to be here, I try and leave my input on them, if that kind of makes sense. Like mm-hmm. when I'm talking to these kids, I tell them, don't go to a school based on the coach. Coaches leave all the time. Like I have my third new coach, but I'm still at Marist. Like I could have decided in my senior year of high school, I didn't want to come here because the coach that recruited me wasn't going to be here. But I loved Marist and I trusted it enough that I just trusted the process and was like, I'm going to go here. Like I still love the school and everything else it has to offer. So I always say pick a school based on the school if soccer wasn't there. And so I hope that resonates with them because it's really easy to get wrapped up in kind of coaches portraying the best of the best that they want to try and get you to come to a school when obviously there's downfalls that come with it. And so that's kind of my advice to these kids, even though like I won't be there, that it's something they can still keep in mind. Yeah. And I feel like just in college athletics, just across the board, it seems like players, athletes, high schoolers, college students, the transfer portal is wide open. Everything's kind of wide open. And it seems like people are going to a school because of a coach. What is your kind of just opinion on kind of athletes going to a school for a coach and not a program? Obviously, you kind of stick to your program and stick to your guns of going to Marist. But what are your thoughts on kind of other people's, not necessarily other people's decisions, but kind of other people's mindsets on, oh, a coach, you know, I, I kind of came here for the coach. They left. I got to leave like kind of the following, you know, path of coaches? I think personally that following a school or going to a school based on a coach is probably the worst thing you can do. But then again, there is like schools like BU who their women's soccer head coach was there for 20 plus years and they were super successful. So it is in a way where there are coaches who stay for a really long time and make the best of their program. I know Monmouth's coach was there for a long time and she just recently left and went to UPenn. And so there are some instances where, okay, this coach has been here forever. The school does really, really well. So of course you want to go and be coached under someone that has that kind of legacy and is doing really well, but there's always changes. Everyone's looking for the next big salary and things like that. And so I would just say that it isn't the best idea, but then again, everyone has different kind of goals and where they want to be and who they want to be coached by. So it's kind of a preference, honestly. Yeah, I think it's just kind of a big unknown um, in sports, whether it be if you're looking to go to a mid-major powerhouse, it it kind of all depends on where you're getting recruited, I think, because I think if you're getting recruited to maybe a Marist or something like that, maybe mm-hmm. a- 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 athletics might not be at the forefront of your kind of decision making. But if you're going to, you know, another school, maybe athletics are more important. It kind of all depends on just people's decision. But kind of throughout your time here at Marist, what have you learned in like your your entire process here? 
I've learned that nothing is guaranteed. I mean, my freshman year was COVID central. We had one game and then the school shut down because of COVID. And then my sophomore year, I couldn't play because of health reasons. And so I really just have had my junior year and hoping for the best for senior year. So it's like, I'm going to be a senior, but I feel like I haven't had anything yet when it comes to college sports. So that's kind of what I learned is like nothing's guaranteed and you have to take every opportunity that comes your way and run with it because you, it might be your last one. And then you mentioned the COVID year. Obviously, you played. You were lucky and you were able to play one game. Most athletes weren't able to play. What is your kind of opinion on, more generically speaking, having the ability for athletes to play another year because of having that kind of COVID eligibility? I think it's awesome because then, like I said before, a lot of people missed out on a lot of things. And I know there are a lot of other schools where if their kids were testing negative, their sports teams could play. But unfortunately, Marist didn't do that. It was more about the student body, which is also understandable. So having this year, it really, really helps kids, especially when nowadays a lot of people do have to go to grad school anyways in some areas for their education. So you might as well, if you can play, like all to you. So I think it is a really good thing that they did. And then we talk kind of, you know, COVID eligibility. Is that something you've thought about? Is that something that's crossed your mind or are you just kind of more focused on academics? What is your kind of mindset on, you know, cause you could play an extra couple of years. You probably could play this year, next year, and maybe the other year, depending on your red shirt, you know, waivers. Have you thought about, you know, is this definitely going to be your last season? What is your kind of process on, uh, playing soccer yeah I was kind of up in the air going back and forth with the idea of taking my fifth year somewhere because I wouldn't be able to take it at Marist because they don't have the program that I want to do here Mm -hmm. but I'm actually graduating in December which is a semester early so if I was to take my fifth year I would have to go somewhere else in the spring and I do still want to be a part of the Marist community in the spring even if I'm not a student here anymore because I do live off campus so I'm paying rent and everything like that. So I feel like soccer got me to where I am now, but I've learned a lot about educationally where I want to go in the future that I'm not considering a fifth year at this point. I mean, anything can change by the fall, but I do want to just go to grad school and like focus a lot on academically, like my career and everything, just because I'm getting to that point where I'm like, this is a lot, like it's a lot on your body. It's a lot physically and mentally. And that's kind of just where I'm at, but I'm definitely was going back and forth for a while. Yeah. And you talk about kind of the mental aspects and you minoring in psychology definitely has a huge kind of impact on decision-making and kind of what you want to do. Knowing, knowing your body, I think is extremely important, but kind of going back, we talk sports throughout what is kind of like the significance of sports kind of in your life, because without sports, you're not having a scholarship to go to Marist. That's kind of a huge, mm-hmm. you know, leaning point for most college athletes and people um, to go to colleges that they're able to, you know, play sports. So what is that kind of signif- significance um, in your life? Yeah, I wouldn't even be at Marist if it wasn't for soccer. I didn't know Marist was even a school being from Massachusetts. I knew because they came to our games and reached out to me, my sister and was like, Hey, like, we really like the way you play this, this and that. And so my club coach at the time was like, you should really look at Marist. It's a smaller division one school. You might like it. And so we came up for a visit and an ID camp and everything. And so playing soccer has definitely impacted my college experience because 
I wouldn't be at Marist to meet all the people I've met and done all of these experiences if it wasn't for soccer. But with the mental aspect that you mentioned before, like it takes a lot to be a division one athlete, just balancing school and soccer and traveling and everything. And it's not for everyone and that's fine. And so that's something that I've kind of had to pick up really fast just because my freshman year was taken away with COVID and then it was right smack into the next season, my sophomore year. So there was no time to really breathe. And the transition from just high school to college and then COVID to college was huge. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about getting recruited with your sister. How is that kind of recruitment process basically being kind of a package deal um, throughout the recruiting process? What was that like having someone kind of by your side throughout the process, kind of looking at Mm -hmm. schools and everything? The recruiting process within itself was very hectic because before your club teams were based on your grade and that's how they broke it up until one year they decided that they were going to do it by birth year so I'm November of 2001 so I was playing with kids who were born in February of 2001 so they were in the grade above me technically so I was getting looked at at colleges when I was a freshman but my teammates were sophomores in high school and that's really early to get looked at by colleges so the process was so sped up like, how am I supposed to know what I want when I'm 14, 15 years old? So having my my twin sister and asked me to do it was just like the best thing ever. And we first were like, well, if one school likes one person and not the other, like, that's okay. And then after a while, we realized that was stupid and we wanted to go to college together. So we kind of just didn't talk to schools that only wanted one of us. And if someone did want one of us, we would be like, well, my twin sister. And then we just kind of went about it that way. But yeah, it was definitely really special to like make it all work where I played with her growing up and now I can play with her here and like we can go out with a bang with just us two still doing it together. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about recruiting process, wanting to be together. You mentioned not sure at the beginning, what kind of led you, you know, together as a group to make the decision that you both wanted to stay wherever college it was to go together? Was it just being together all all throughout kind of your life what was kind of that um process like I think it's just like what we can create on the field like off the field we're best friends which I think that helps a lot is we just get each other and so like my high school coach would call us like the wonder twins because we had like twin telepathy and like all of that whatever and um because she was a midfield and I was a forward so we were just connecting like score these goals like in high school my senior year we made it to the state finals and our playoffs like me and her scored like nine out of the 11 goals in playoffs just like with each other so it was like it's just something you couldn't really deny is like what we could do together and so that was something that I didn't want to just give up for like four years just because oh maybe like we would like it somewhere like we wouldn't be happy if we weren't like with each other Mm -hmm. and then kind of going back a little bit you talk about kind of everything going on with recruiting process everything like that when did you start to realize you talked about getting recruited at kind of as a freshman? Did you realize like becoming a division one athlete was plausible from the gate, you know, as a freshman in high school or what, what, what kind of led you to the point of like, Hey, I can actually be a division one athlete and, you know, do something about it. Um, I mean, there was a period of time where I was like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this because of outside things like, like every girl that's in the college soccer field has had a coach tell them like oh you should look at d3 schools like everyone has had that experience where someone's just downgrading their talent 
And so I had that and I was like, you know what? No, like I'm going to try and play D1 no matter where it is, because I've worked so hard my whole life to get here. And if I'm going to have four more years, which at the time I knew I wasn't going to go professionally or anything, I had no idea COVID was going to come and give me a fifth year. But Mm -hmm. I was like, if I'm going to have four years to do this, I want to do it at the highest level I can. And with that, I was playing for an ECNL team, which ECNL is undeniably the best league in our country. There's two teams for every state and everyone goes and competes against each other. And you go to these showcases, you get looked at by there's hundreds of colleges on the sideline watching you play to try and recruit you. Like this is just one of the best leagues that there is maybe the best league. So I was like, if I'm here already, like I'm not going to stoop down to another level when I feel like I could make it higher, even though that D3 and D2s are great for a lot of people, especially academically. And just if you don't want that pressure, but for me, I knew I had four years left and I wanted to kind of challenge myself to be at that division one level. Was there a time that you knew like division one is possible? I've talked to, you know, multiple people and people don't know that like getting to the division one level is really possible until actually getting that first division one offer. Talk to me about kind of that. Like, did you know, like freshman, sophomore year, right when the recruiting process kind of started playing in all these different tournaments and all these different leagues that like division one is like what I'm going to do and kind of the plan or did it talk about having, you know, everybody kind of doubting you division three, division two, just coaches in general. When was that time where division one was like, yeah, I, I got division one and, it, and it's not like a question in my mind. Cause I feel like there's a lot of questions and athletes head of division one. That's, that's always the goal. Division one is always the goal, but sometimes it's like, uh, I don't know if I'm cut out for this going against t- a tougher competition and stuff like that. So when was the, t- when was the time kind of in your experience knowing division one, there it is. I'm going division one. I don't need to necessarily worry about D2, D3, those types of offers. I guess it kind of would be when I got an offer from a division one school or even just like I was talking to another school and they basically were like, if you and your sister say you want to go here, we'll make you an offer. But it was a school that a lot of people go to near me. So I was like, I don't really want to go to school so close to home. Like everyone from my high school goes there. And so me and my sister were like, we're just going to like keep our options open kind of. And it was like, that was the base of what we were comparing everything to. Cause I really liked the school. It was just like that outside concept of Oh, a lot of people from my high school go here. It's like 45 minutes from home. And my brother went to Cornell. So that's obviously a lot further away. But I knew like somewhere in the middle would be great where I like can't come home every weekend if I wanted to type of thing. And I don't know if I ever really was like, this is it, like division one, like here we go until like that moment because I knew like there's one there I can kind of have more opportunities like like that. I see what you mean. I totally understand kind of the process of, you know, going home, not wanting to be so close to family, not necessarily not wanting to be so close to family, but kind of wanting to explore um, other options. Cause I feel like just in general, so many people, they stick to their high school friend group and that's why they go to college. And I think like, at least from my perspective, like you can't necessarily be friends with everybody. Like, let's be honest, 30 years down the road, are you going to be friends with your high school friends and all your college friends? Like, no, you're going to have work friends, coworkers, all that different stuff. And I feel like those are relationships that kind of matter the most instead of more of your background of where you came from. It's more about the experiences. 
But, you know, how would you just say overall your Marist experience has been so far for it's basically been three years, obviously COVID kind of ruined it. And then sophomore year, you talk about transition throughout your college experience with coaches and stuff like that. But overall, how has it been? I would say it's been a really good experience. I know a lot of people say, well, COVID kind of ruined it, but I wouldn't trade my freshman spring for the world. Like that was probably the best semester that I've had here just because it was so different and everyone, basically everyone kind of got COVID. And then when they didn't have it, everyone's like, okay, I'm immune. So let's all like be friends and like do normal social gatherings and like just hang out with people, getting to know people. Cause it was really hard to kind of meet other people with like all these social distancing and you couldn't go in other people's dorms freshman year. Like it was insane. And um, that's why I just value the people I've met here so much more because if I didn't have these people here, like I probably wouldn't be embarrassed. Like just the people around you make it so much better. And even like my class is big, there's nine of us and like we all get along. Like they're, we fight like sisters, like we get along like sisters. Like if you need someone to tell you how it is, like it's them. And so they just make this experience so much better, especially because we've gone through the three coaches together. Like we've been in and out through thick and thin, like hell and back. And so it just makes it a lot easier when you can like connect these people and they know everything that's going on in your days to days and like can just kind of be an outlet, even though we all like play soccer, like they're my outlets in a way because they know more about me than just soccer. And so I wouldn't like, that's like what makes my experience so good is just like these people that I've met here. Yeah. And I think this might sound crazy and I've said it, I've said it to multiple people. I think COVID was a blessing, not necessarily Mm -hmm. just for myself. I think it was just a blessing for everybody to realize, like you kind of got to realize to not take things for granted, kind of step back a little bit, understand that like, like I feel like during COVID people really were like either in each other's faces of like, I need to connect with someone on board, on board, on board, but also just like realizing like the human aspect of everything like nobody like who would have thought like people would be doing zooms anymore or like anything like that like i think that just kind of evolves over time with communication and everything but kind of when did you start playing sports cuz i know that really impacts people um from a you know division 1 or whatever kind of level of like there's a lot of people out there that might have had the talent but they started at age 10 so they were late to the game and they weren't able to develop. But when did you start and when did you kind of, you know, take it, take it seriously? Um, so I started playing sports in general when I was like four years old and I did soccer and gymnastics was actually another sport that I did. And I was actually pretty good at gymnastics. They were, but it was one of those things where they wanted me in the gym, like four hours every day. And I was like, no. And so I just like played soccer I picked up like softball in like second grade and basketball for like a week, but I was really bad at it. So didn't do that, but I kind of played soccer growing up only because I had this coach growing up, which I feel like a lot of people have a coach like this, where he always said, you don't have time for other sports. You don't have time for other sports. So I just like played soccer. I liked it the most. And like, I was the best at it out of all the other sports that I played, but I started to kind of become more competitive with it when I was probably like when I became a teenager like 12 or 13 because that's when ECNL becomes an actual like league is then 
And mm -hmm. so the whole goal end goal was to get to ECNL. So I went through like the coach I had went to a bunch of different clubs to try and get us to ECNL. And then we finally got to that point because again, there's only two clubs in every state that has ECNL. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, when I was probably like 13 was when it became more real because we were traveling like every weekend for games and these showcases for colleges to look at you. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting just talking sports in general, coaches. Like this is my perspective. I think talking from a male's perspective, coaches always told me to do multiple sports. I only stick to one. And it's interesting that women athletics and stuff like that, they wanted them to focus on – just one sport so huge huge difference in kind of the ap atmosphere of how many sports you want to play but kind of what would you say is kind of like the proudest moment of your life whether it be from a athletic level or more of a personal level hmm that's a really good question um athletically probably when I in high school I was the first female varsity soccer athlete to score 100 points so I ended my season with 123 points and I don't remember the ratio it was like you get one point for a goal one point for an assist I think I had like almost half and half I think I had like 60 goals 50 assists or something but no other female athlete in my high school ever did that in history so I think I have that I think I have the record holder for my high school right now which is kind of cool but um Definitely that would be athletically, but again, it's like, I mean, someone has to give me those assists and someone has to score my goals. So mm -hmm. it's not all of me. Um, academically. Or just socially, like something proudest moment, whether it be interview application, kind of whatever you're yeah. kind of passionate about. It doesn't have to be necessary, necessarily academically. Cause I know I'm not the uh, smartest guy in the world. Mm -hmm. Um. it's a really hard question I've never really thought about this mm -hmm. <laughs> like um no I get it I yeah I, I come I come out firing um <laughs> with uh I guess the uh tougher questions um do you have anything or are you still uh I feel like when someone asks you, you're like what you're proud of, like the first thing that comes to your head is like athletically, at least being an athlete your whole life. Mm -hmm. So that's why like thinking of something else is like really hard, but. All right, let's, let's go yeah. off of that. What would you say? <laughs> all right. Next question. What would you say you're most passionate about non-athletically? If that makes sense. Like obviously you're majoring, majoring in criminal justice, minoring psychology, social work, but like at the end of the day, what makes you, what makes you tick? Mine, this is like such a cliche answer, but like helping people is kind of like, that's my end goal when it comes to, if you're talking about like my major and minor, but helping people that don't, can't really help themselves in a way, like whether they're young or vulnerable, or even if they just are a little bit more reserved, like it doesn't have to be something that deep, just like being a voice for someone else and with that I'm also very passionate about like my family which is kind of also another cliche answer but it's typical like 
we I see my cousins and grandparents and aunts and uncles like every Sunday like we do a big Sunday dinner like when I'm home and everything so being away from school it's sad that I'm not there I call like my mom or dad every Sunday and they're at my grandparents house and I do the whole round of oh say hi say hi like all of that but all my cousins have went to school outside of state and end up back somewhere in mass because they don't want to miss these Sunday dinners like this is just something that like fuels me in a way is like like being around people like that kind of going off of what I asked earlier you talk about passion about helping people what have you done not what have you done to help people but like what have you like what makes you want to help people is there something of experience that you've done is it playing soccer in more of a team atmosphere kind of where does that kind of come from um for experience I have had two internships that kind of steered my focus on wanting to help people because I feel like a lot of criminal justice people want to be a lawyer or a cop and like I just don't want to do either one of those things Mm -hmm. I just want to be more with people so my whole route is more social work related so one of my internships was with a victim witness advocate who's kind of a middleman between the victim and a prosecutor in the court and they just tell them about their court process like any updates about their defendant if they have restraining orders or anything like what are the updates on that if someone's on a gps if they're released or not things like that and then right now i have an internship at the child abuse prevention center in poughkeepsie and our whole thing is we go into schools and teach kids about different signs of how to keep their body safe different signs of abuse healthy relationships things like that and if something gets disclosed to us then we can report it to cps depending on like what we think the situation is like if it's severe enough and like these are things that it sounds really horrible that you're hearing about like their situations but it like again it like fuels my fire kind of Mm -hmm. because it's like you're the person that's giving them a little bit of hope and so I've really enjoyed those two like internships a lot and I think I've been very lucky where I'm not just the intern that's like going and getting them coffee kind of thing Mm -hmm. so it's really it's really like steered my head and what I could possibly do in the future. All right. And you talked kind of about, about your internships and just trying to help people talked about kind of what you've, what you've done so far, but kind of like 10 years, 20 years down the road, what would you like to say? Not necessarily your job is, but where you're at, whether it be job wise, personal wise, like where would you want to be at? Obviously you talked about wanting to stay close to family um, in Massachusetts, but what is kind of your plan? Uh, 10, 15, 20 years down the line? Yeah, I would say 10 to 15 years down the line, I would want to be, yeah, back in Mass, close to my family, and probably moved out by then and can support myself and things like that. Maybe have a dog. That'd be nice. But also, I don't know how I'll get there, like the steps, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of the end goal is to be able to be on my own, like self-sufficient, have my own place, dog, Mary, married maybe 10 years from now yeah and yeah I'll be 31 married and things just like normal things like that and yeah is there a particular job you have kind of not dream job but is there kind of that dream job that you're thinking about not necessarily that it's going to happen in 10 years because 10 years is kind of a quick time um frame for a job like dream job when talking getting right out of college and kind of getting there but like, is there a particular job down the road, like 
you want to get there or is it just kind of figure it out, be close to home, um, you know, be involved with helping people and stuff like that? Is it, is there any dream job of your choice or is it just kind of continue to uh, see what life takes you? I mean, right now I'm kind of playing with the idea of eventually being a school social worker in an elementary school just because I love being in a school so much right now with my internship because we mostly go to elementary schools and the little kids are just so cute but I could never be a teacher and actually like lesson plan and things like that but just being in that environment but then again I am a very much of let's see where life takes me kind of way so Mm -hmm. anything around that would kind of be ideal but and what is one thing you want the viewer to know about you? About me? Yep. This one, this one, everybody hates it, but uh, like kind of going, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rephrase it a little bit because I know it it's kind of gets, you know, a little, little messy. But okay. like we talk about kind of sports, your athletic career. So obviously they kind of know about that. We talk about how you want to help people, but like in a sense of like what stands out to you but like kind of like this is what I like to do kind of a job interview what stands out about to you that they might not necessarily see just by looking at you or knowing about you but kind of getting to know you a little bit more in the sense of like yeah everybody's you know the boring things kind caring everybody kind of has those mantra but what really like what motivates you what what are you passionate about that those types of like kind of thing I always use like spunk like what is your what is your spunky side um I would say that I'm a very spontaneous person like I like when things actually I like when things are very planned in a sense but when it comes to memories in a way I like spontaneity something like that like I went through like a whole skateboarding phase where I learned how to skateboard and I would like ride on campus and stuff, which I haven't done in a long time, but I like just in the spur of a moment, like making it a moment, if that makes sense. Um, anything? I'm trying to think of other things that like kind of like kind of the job interview. Let's go to the job interview question. So what kind of, what, what do you, what do you bring to the table that like other people might not necessarily do? You talk about like experience, but like, but like what, what separates you apart? How about this one? What separates you apart from your twin sister? Well, that's exactly where I was going to go with this is that if I was in a job interview or someone wants to ask like what I bring is I've grown up with a twin sister my whole life and you're constantly being put under the pressure of like the amount of times people have said, oh, like who's better at soccer? Like you or your twin, like who's smarter? You or your twin. It's like, you're always being compared Mm -hmm. and you're just kind of seen as being together. So I've always grown up having to separate myself and create my own identity in a way, because yes, like I'm Amanda's twin, but I'm not just Amanda's twin and vice versa for her. So I, I think that sets me apart is because a lot of people don't have the same same person living next to them doing the same things as them like because as people we're both very different like I'm more outgoing than her and she's definitely more book smart than I am but like our differences like come together really well and so that's kind of just how we've both grown up realizing that we have to like be different because everyone's constantly like putting us in a box 
Yeah, I kind of I kind of understand what you're saying, and I don't necessarily think it's just because you're twins of the different personalities and being compared. I think that's definitely part of it. But I feel like when like I have a sibling, and I feel like when there's brothers, sisters, or whomever. Mm Like you're always getting compared to like I'm always called my brother's name and like everybody says, oh, you look so similar and blah, 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 blah. But like there's a lot more on the deeper end of likes, likes and dislikes like yours are probably more similar than mine and my brother just because of just because of age gaps and also like personality traits. Those are different. But talk about talk about kind of what like you talk about what separates the two of you, but like what separates you kind of from the rest because everybody's everybody says they're driven and everybody says they're passionate everybody kind of does what they want to do but in this field especially or just in jobs in general um being an athlete how how is that kind of life like knowing that you know at the end of the day are you gonna like what you said earlier like at the end of the day am i not i'm I'm probably not gonna be playing professional soccer so how is that in terms of looking for jobs, being an athlete, do you feel like you're not necessarily lower on the totem pole, but feel feel like it's harder for you to get where you want to be than the other person just because you have so much other so many so much time in soccer, so much time, not enough time to do kind of everything else to get to where you want to be? And how is that kind of process um like? I would say that there's always time for something else. Like at this point, we're always squeezing one thing in after another. And so if someone's saying that they don't have time to like build a resume or like do this or that, it's like you like there's time for everything. So I wouldn't say that soccer is going to put me on a lower totem pole for like getting a job or anything. Like I know I recently went on a job interview and they didn't ask me about soccer at all. They asked me about my internship experiences. So I think it's, it's an asset that shows you're part of something and that you're kind of motivated and driven to stay with one thing that is a lot of time and effort for a long period of time, especially being in college. But it's definitely not what makes you whole. Unless you are going to sports field, then I'm sure they ask you about sports. But for me, they're just so separate mm-hmm. that you do have to kind of be your own person and have this other front to you or else like it means nothing. And I think that's why a lot of people go through this like identity crisis because all they've had is the sport. And then when it comes to something else, they don't have this other wall that they can like turn to about themselves. You talk sports, kind of what the future holds. Have you ever thought of like the last time you'll, and and this is going to sound terrible, but I'm going to say anyways, have you ever thought of kind of the last time you'll be on the soccer field and kind of all the, kind of emotions coming together and what what do you think that moment is going to be like um today I actually thought about it because we someone found our unreleased soccer schedule for the fall so Hmm. it's not released yet but yeah you know the little inner works and so I saw it and was like wait now I can kind of pinpoint when my senior day is going to be and that's usually the last home game so today I kind of thought about it and was like this is weird like how am I going to be a senior kind of thing but I haven't really thought about the emotions that come with it. I'm, I just know it's coming of this. My last, my last games are going to be probably November, like type of thing. And just, I feel like if you think about the emotions behind it, it just gets really rocky and I'm not really ready to do that yet, but yeah. there's going to be a lot there. 
would you say emotions get the best of you or would you say it's more calm cool and collective in the sense of like you're not preparing for anything you're kind of just going with the flow seeing what happens like do you think at at points like going with the flow kind of living life not necessarily preparing for the future has any negative motion of like I, like I, like personally this is this is what I'm just going to go on a little bit of a tangent now but personally like I think like I always prepare for the future I need to know what's next I need to know what my emotions going to be what what what's next it seems like more you're kind of level level keel and kind of going through the motions how is that for you in the sense of future future wise soccer kind of life in general I appreciate that you said I seem like a cool cucumber and go through the motions because I'm definitely more like you when you explained that is I like to pinpoint everything. I'm the kid that has the to-do list on their phone of like everything they have to do that day for like the whole week type of thing. But I think what if I try and pinpoint every single thing, I'll drive myself crazy. So my whole thing is if there's an end goal, as long as I do little steps along the way to hopefully get there, then that satisfies me. Because if I read too much into it, then I'll go insane. So like, for example, if my end goal is like to eventually be a school social worker, like, okay, right now, if I'm graduating December, like I should start looking for like jobs and just like, I eventually have to go to grad school, but like, I don't need to worry about that yet. I just know I have to do that eventually. So it's like knowing the little things that make up getting there, but not like being like, okay, I'm going to apply to this job, hopefully get that. And then go to this grad school. And then at this point do this, like, because that's just not realistic. I I see what you mean. And I wish I was more like that because I think when I started going into the kind of college atmosphere, everybody kind of plans out their college experience. Mine was like, Oh, every summer I'm going to do an internship every so every summer so far I've done an internship, but I'll tell you right now, I've already been preparing for next summer and I haven't even started with this summer. So I'm, I'm, I am, I am the crazy, uh, nutty person that every everybody thinks um that should not be overthinking or anything too much but what would you say kind of the women's college athletics has kind of taught you in the sense of at least now future like looking on to the future now with women's college athletics it seems like it's heading in the in a lot better direction with women's college basketball um men's have still always been there but it seems like there's been getting a lot more attention of uh, women's athletics so what is your kind of opinion on seeing how the trajectory for women's athletics is going up I think it's definitely very hopeful but I still think there's a long way to go just because even just within sports there's kind of a totem pole whether it involves gender or not like I know there's like the basketball and the football for a lot of schools is over like the swim and the track. And the same thing is true for women's sports too. So even though there is this like kind of agenda of working parts, it's still not like overall the most fulfilling. Yeah. Money talks. That's what I've said so many times. It's, it's great. It's also sad at the same point. It's also, it all also all depends on what the audience um wants to see and it seems like things are getting better i always say this and i think this is perfect 
well, not perfect because nothing's perfect. And that's what I was kind of going to allude to. Nothing is perfection. Everything is kind of, it is the way it is. Everything can be close to perfect, but nothing's perfect. And there's always going to be kind of progress. We see this. Everybody says, oh, the United States is in such great shape. Yeah, we're in such great shape and all this and that. We're lucky. We're all this freedom and all this, that, and the other thing. But, like, there's so much more progress that can be made. We talk about COVID earlier. And COVID taught us a lesson lesson in the sense of, like, and same thing with power outages. Technology, like, we use it too much. We need to, you know, kind of be more in the moment. And that's definitely something that I need to uh, focus on like the rest of people in the world. Yeah. The day I delete TikTok, it's a good day for me. Delete. I mean, I never got on TikTok. So uh, good. don't, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm so far so good, but my plan is to get a Twitter uh, this <laughs> summer. Uh, I, I know it's crazy. I don't even have Twitter yet. Um, But uh, still social media has kind of impacted um, everything um in everybody's lives yeah see twitter's the app i deleted recently twitter's the one you deleted recently Mm -hmm. maybe i should start to rethink my uh plans i just never used it but i'm sure it has good use if you actually do but you know social media has been kind of a lot through everything during covid just kind of throughout the 21st century just everything going on but with all the social media and all the following of athletes and everything like that, NIL has officially started now. It seems like it's been around for a year or so. It's starting to get its gear in, in place and actually do something. Um, it's it's a little chaotic like everything is nowadays. But what are your thoughts on NIL? Just the fact that college athletes are finally being able to be get paid Obviously, it's kind of a little weird how they're getting paid because of sponsorships and all this and that. But what are your thoughts on just how college athletes are, you know, finally being able to get, you know, some of that revenue um, in their pocket? I think it's great. I know there's been talk for a long time of whether college athletes should get paid overall, which is kind of very controversial type of topic. But even just these little sponsorships of using your name, especially in like a good way I know a lot of these big schools have their athletes at like Nike and all of these other great like arenas and it's just like it's kind of cool to see where your sport can get you besides just your university like using your name for something that like for example Nike like if you were a kid who grew up wearing Nike cleats all your life it's like now your name is part of Nike like that's really cool yeah I think NIL is great I think college athletes getting paid just makes this entire just a business is college athletics a business yes but it's not necessarily that type of business if that makes any sense um I think NIL is great I definitely think it has its downsides and as you were talking about NIL I thought of this we talk NIL okay that's great people with Nike Adidas whatnot all these brands blah 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 but it kind of impacts people going to a particular place, whether it be going to North Carolina, Notre Dame, wherever it is. I'm not necessarily sure if that's a good thing for college athletics. A big thing with NIL is this kind of deteriorates the, you know, kind of lower level schools, the non-power five, like the Marist, like the URI, like Boston, not Boston, but some BU schools. BC is fine, but like even then, 
it seems like NIL is more for the rich and not as much for the poor or, you know, average or whatever you want to call it. That's my only concern with NIL um, with branding. Do you think kind of going off of that, the NIL branding is a bad thing? It's a good thing. I see both ways. I just kind of thought of it's kind of manipulative of people's decisions. And I'm not sure that's a, it's, it's good. It's not a good thing, but it also is kind of a good thing from business perspective. I think overall NIL is a good business move. I'm not sure how good of a personal move it is. What are your thoughts there? I, I kind of agree. I feel like NIL should almost be, this isn't going to make sense, but should almost be separate from the university kind of like, it's more about the person and their name and yes, it's part of like a contract now that they sign because they are from the school, but it's almost, if a school is using that to promote kids coming, then it's almost an opposite effect because you shouldn't be striving for these power fives or whoever because of the NIL that comes with it, because it is the person at the end of the day. like. I'm sure anyone from like Alabama football could get a Nike sponsorship, but at the end of the day, like I want to believe that it's more about like the person they're signing. But then again, maybe these big companies just want these big brand names of Alabama football or whoever to be a part of their company. But I'm more of a believer in, Oh, it's about the person, but I could be completely mistaken. I just want to think that. Yeah. I I get your point. I think the problem is the connection we talk about connections are everything in this world you talk brands and yeah it's about the person but the reason it's quote-unquote about the person that they want that person is the connection between a nike and a alabama or an nbc and nerding brady quinn and nerding like all different types of schools have their own kind of nil pocketed you know scenario and it's like, yes, we all want to believe it's about the person or we all want to believe it's about the school and we all want to believe that. But those are circumstances in college sports that just don't – they don't happen anymore. That's why we see the transfer portal just absolutely erupt year after year after year. Do I love the transfer portal? Yes. Do I also hate the transfer portal? Yes. I think it's just like – here's what I'll say first before I'll give you the floor – uh, I think the transfer portal is good in the sense of like, I think athletes sitting out one year to transfer the first time, I think that was stupid. I think you're, you should be able to transfer right away and go to a school. Um, for, I'll let you have, have the floor for that point first. Transferring to a new school, don't have to sit out. That's your first time. That's not making you able to transfer 25 different times and not sit out, but your first time not having to sit out. Do you, do you like that theory? Do you not like it? What is your kind of process on that? I don't see why anyone should have to sit out for transferring. Like if they weren't happy at one school, then what's to them for going to another school. And I think it's just more of, I don't know what the, behind the scenes is of it like if it just makes things more complicated because I know now there's open windows for the transfer portal like you have to go in once your season's over and there's like a month for you to do it and then vice versa when you're out of season 
which I'm not necessarily necessarily sure if I agree with that, which is not what you asked, but that's a whole separate thing. Yeah, the but, window. Um, I see what you mean. Go on. Yes. Just continue on with the window because I want to hear um, what yeah. your thoughts are because I think that's fascinating. I think if the window closes at December 15th and you, I don't know if that's the actual date, but hypothetically, yeah, yeah, hypothetical. if, it, yep. if it hypothetically closes December 15th and on the 16th of December, you say, hey, like something happens and you're like, I don't want to be here. You have to wait like X amount of days, months or whatever to go into the transfer portal. Like that doesn't really make sense to me. But okay. I also know of people going to the transfer portal and then their coaches will just rip away their scholarships. And then at that point they have to transfer because they can't stay where they are. They will have no money. So it's kind of like the power of the transfer portal seems so big, but then the power of the coaches or anyone else involved is way bigger because they can pick and choose what they want to do with that person. Once you're in the portal, like you're so vulnerable once you're in the portal. Yeah, here's what I'll say about the window. I I think it's a good sign for the window in terms of scholarships. Um, for an example, in college football, I'll just go to college football. You have, let's just say, 80 scholarships on your football team. You have to know with the upcoming recruiting classes how many you can offer those people, how many you can sign, this, that, and the other thing. If you have people transferring in the middle of the season or middle of whenever – like, how are you going to know to make sure that your roster is intact and have enough healthy, active players? I think you have to have the window. I think it's – I'm not sure how long the window is would be the factor, but I think the window should be like a month or so. But I think you have a great point on the sense of, like, coaches pulling scholarships away. But guess what? The coaches are pulling their scholarship away because they transferred – not transferred, but entered the portal – and they're still in the portal, and they haven't made a decision. These coaches are putting so much pressure on these athletes to make a decision very quick, very quickly, excuse me, and it's just not fair for these, whether it be 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, making quick decisions, gut reactions. We've seen it with so many athletes in the pros, and we've seen it with high schoolers and all this and that, with all the violence going on in the world. So many quick reaction actions. What people need to realize is when you're a young adult or a teenager or whatever, you can't make quick reactions. You need to make sure you step away for a second, relax, breathe, go through the pros and cons, and really dissect what you want to do instead of making quick reactions. And the coaches are making college athletes make quick, quick reactions, which is kind of making it the transfer portal chaos. But back kind of more onto the portal. It's great one year transfer, but it's not great when people are transferring every single year and not sitting out. That's that's another issue. Um, another thing about the portal though that I like before I'll go on about what I don't like. In 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 the circumstances of Maris, this is not saying that anyone's transferring or anything like that. But if there's a new coach coming in, I think uh, an athlete should be able to transfer to a new program and not have to sit out. If the coach who recruited them is leaving the program or it's the head coach, those specific reasons, because if it's just a coach who has no say in the matter about your recruiting process and why you got there and you're using that as an excuse, like, come on, like you, you got like, it's the same thing of like using things to your advantage and manipulation. I think that's the biggest issue 
um, for college athletics. What are your, what are your thoughts there? I feel like it gets messy when you, if you put those like deadlines or not deadlines, like standards kind of. I see what you mean. That makes sense. I know what you mean. Because how do you like differentiate that? Like if, if someone recruits you and then they leave, like, let's say for like my experience, for example, if, the coach that recruited me left before I even got there, then what, how would that play into like? Well, you would be able to transfer, but you wouldn't have to be able to sit out. So like you would be able to transfer to a new school to like not sit out. But let's say if it was a coach who didn't recruit you at all, like everybody who recruited you and the head coach stays when you went to Marist. But another coach who you've maybe talked to a few times decides to get another job and let's say all of a sudden you want to transfer and you're using that person as an excuse because the rule is you have to have like a coach leave to uh and this is like this is not like your first time this is your second time transferring because first time you get a uh, full year of just transferring no matter what but your second time if you're just transferring and using a coach to your advantage kind of manipulating the rule that's when i have a problem it's kind of the same situation um, there was athletes who used, who basically manipulated the process before the transfer portal started. They said, oh, this happened um, at this school. This happened. And they found out that that was not the case, but they were able to transfer and be fine because they manipulated the rule. I think uh, there's obviously going to be manipulation that goes on, but you got to figure out a nice clear path to work this all in and Maybe, maybe you instead of saying, "Oh, it has to be a recruiting coordinator or something like that," maybe you just say, "If any member of the coaching staff leaves, they're able to transfer right away." But then, if you do that, it's just going to be even more chaos in the portal. So you kind of have to have rules and regulations. But it seems at this point, there's no real concrete answer for the transfer portal. Why people are transferring? It continues to be chaos throughout, and it's just it's sad to see. Um, because you see these non-Power 5 schools struggling. You see all these other schools just struggling. Seems like Marist is basically the bankers of the transfer portal, uh, whether it be in any sport, the basketball team, nine transfers, the women's basketball team, another three or four. Like, it's just con- tra- transfers just continuing to go. It's just not – it's not a good, good thing to happen um, in college athletics. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like Maris does bank transfers, like so many, whether it's in or out. And I'm not entirely sure what the like reasoning is. If it's like coaches or coaches leaving, I know at least for soccer, like we've had four new coaches in eight years. And so just that constant like hiring coaches and they don't stay just creates a lot of like kind of un steadiness yeah for a lot of people which is fair but um I know like there's other programs where they've had a coach for a lot longer and they still have that problem of transfers at Marist so I don't I think collectively the athletic program has to do a lot better at that issue whether it's whatever the underlying thing is whether it's like resources that athletes don't necessarily know a lot about like or 
just basic things like that. I know that recently we just got like protein powder and bananas and stuff in the weight room and we like never had that before. And just like little things like that can kind of tick people in the wrong way because there are a lot of a lot of other schools where they have like specific place for like these athletes to go for like studying or like treatment and like they can get free like protein shakes and stuff like that and like we that don't really have that and so I think it's just the like the concept of like your health whether it's physically mentally matters a lot of people Mm -hmm. at Marist like don't feel that way as an athlete yeah I think it's more so of the athletic athletics in the sense of if you're not playing like just in just the transfer portal this is how it is you're not playing you're going to transfer you're going to transfer to a lower program at Marist you're a non-power five school if all of a sudden you go off and have a great season, you're going to transfer to a better program. Marist at this point is just looking like a stepping stone, and there's no real way to fix that problem. Um, and that's it's kind of the way it's going to be. It's the way it has been. And uh, we'll see if non-Power 5 schools are able to adjust to NIL transfer portal. I know I've talked a couple times to the president, and they're in. he's talked about kind of, yes, we, we want to use this, but it's like he's he- hesitant to say anything because it's not really in his control of what the NCAA is doing. Yeah, I think a lot of times people turn to the president or hire up people at the school to kind of be like, why aren't you doing anything? Like this can go for a lot of different things like the parking on campus if we want to go talk about that like there's just so many things where it's like why aren't there changes when there's such a big problem but there are a lot of things that kind of go into the big mess that a lot of people don't know about you're just like seeing it on the surface so yes turning to the president can kind of be an easy like target but that's not the big solution yeah, I love I love President Kevin Wyman. That's my guy. So uh, shout out to him, and um, we hope Marist is able to figure out a way to make sure that the transfer portal and NIL works to its benefit. All right, talking NIL transfer portal, college athletics—they're crazy. I'll tell you what—it's such a, like a business at this point. But the real quote unquote business is on the professional side, and. I'll tell you what, being a New York sports fan, living in Rhode Island, it's been tough for a lot of years, just not necessarily seeing victories and wins that I like to see nowadays. But you're a Boston sports fan. Um, it kills me to say this, but basically, who, who, what, which has ruined my entire childhood, pretty much ruined 18-plus years, Boston sports fans going crazy with all their wins. So how how is the... Boston sports atmosphere now like as uh now it seems like some of the teams aren't doing as well but which is good for me but some are still you know excelling at a high level which is never a good sign uh for me unlike you definitely growing up I lived 10 minutes from Boston so being a Boston sports fan I would get like Bruins or Celtics tickets every Christmas from my grandparents like me and my cousin would go to a game every year and it was so much fun even just being up in like the nosebleeds like just the environment is unmatched and the teams were good so obviously we like to win and it was a lot of fun but now you know some teams aren't doing too hot like the Patriots but you know that's okay I still went to a Patriots parade when I was younger for winning the Super Bowl but yeah I wouldn't trade being a Boston sports fan 
and I've gotten a lot of crap in New York for being a Boston sports fan, but I'll take the heat. Well, you probably don't get as much crap as I do, um, being a Rhode Islander, being a New York sports fan, but yes, you know. I no, get it more... is what it is. It is what it is. I get more crap for being a Tom Brady fan than oh, a my Boston God. sports fan. Yes. Oh, and that hurts my that, soul. Yes. So that's more so where the crap comes. Everyone can say, oh, like Bruins, yeah, whatever. Celtics, yeah, they're good. It's fine. But when it comes to Tom Brady, there's a lot of heat. I don't know. Well, that's just that just eats that just that just kills my heart. Um, I I have I've never liked Brady. Um, is he the goat? I don't mm-hmm. want to say it, so I'm not going to say it. But there's a argument, definitely a huge strong argument, um, for that. But all I can say about the Patriots, you have struggled. You've struggled in the Super Bowl twice to my New York Football Giants. Um, it's a darn shame. But uh, that's what I'd say about the Boston sports fans. But, you know, talking about the parades, it seems like you guys have won of late in this 21st century. But historically speaking, the New York kind of dynasty has really done much better uh, than Boston sports. So what is kind of your opinion? You know, you talked earlier, getting a lot of crap being a Boston sports fan now in the New York area. What is that kind of, you know, like in the sense of, you know, I know how the Boston fans are, which there's there's a different animal between Boston and New York sports fans. Which ones? I mean, obviously, you're going to say, you know, which ones are worse. But uh, what are your thoughts there? Um, Sports fans, New York is worse. Driving, I can say Boston's worse. I will, yes. give, I will give that one. Oh, I'll give that one. But I just think it comes from pride. Like, we just both have big egos. We want our teams to win. We want to say that our teams won. And that's kind of where the rivalry comes. Like the New York Yankees and the Red Sox will forever be battling at being enemies. Like that's just, that's just going to be a thing. And the games are always so expensive because everyone wants to go to those games. So it's like, it's just something that I think people that are, were once in sports that aren't in sports anymore, maybe just like kind of feed off of that competitiveness. And I think it's good. I think it's good competitiveness at the end of the day. So you talk about, how both fan bases have an ego uh would you say that you have an ego necessarily you know being a boston sports sports fan i didn't sign up for this when i said i was going to be on your podcast because i know because i i know for a fact um not necessarily being a new york fan, new york sports fan but ego is kind of everybody says you have people have egos like I think this is this might be a hot take and I'm full of it probably but I think an ego is a great thing to have because if you have an ego it means you're confident it means you're cocky you might also be arrogant which are two words that might not necessarily be the best but uh sometimes being those it shows more of your personality um than if you're just kind of a regular sports fan going back to the fact of sports fans in general uh, it was a it was a pretty okay weekend, I guess. Uh, the Yankees lost when I went to the game on Friday, not fun. Um, but the Knicks won, which was uh pretty fun. Went to, went to Madison Square Garden for Game Four against the Cavs. So those were two exciting events. Um, this weekend one not so good, but the other one was uh stellar. As we wrap up this episode, first I'm gonna give you the word last word on um sports fandom. Uh, 
New York, Boston, just what are your last words uh, before we uh, wrap this episode up? May the best city win. <laughs> May the best city win. You know, before, before here's one other thing. So this is one other thing that we I've, I've been talking to people and people say right now that the Philadelphia sports fan base is the quote unquote craziest. However, the reason for that being that New York has two sports fans, two sports teams, excuse me, and all of their kind of sports. So here's a question for you. If New York had one sports team, whether it be like soccer, MLS, they have two. Not that soccer is a huge, you know, professional level um, in the United States. But if there was one sports team in New York, would New York be crazier than Philadelphia? Because right now, Philadelphia is more erratic um, than Boston. Boston might be more cocky and arrogant, but... I would say Philly is a little bit more erratic and uh, crazy at this point. I would say no. I think if New York was like all combined, like I think what makes New York like crazy is that there's two and like two different fans and like you're in one state and you're like rivaling. Like I think if there was one, it wouldn't be like that. Like I kind of like the New York, New York rivalry a little bit. I I don't know. I, I I think I disagree. I think if you have one New York sports team, they are New York sports fans. Like I'm, I wouldn't consider myself to be like a New York New York sports fan just because I didn't grow grew up in New York. But those people are crazy. They're insane. If they have one sports fan, one sports team combined, whole whole that is that is not huh. That is not a pleasant sight to be in, um. But I think I think it makes sense though, just based on the fact of having two teams, New York sports fans going after each other instead of going with each other is something that um is definitely an interesting um dynamic. As we wrap up episode forty six, do you have any last words for listeners out there? Um, I don't think so. This was a lot of fun and. I don't know who listens to your podcast, but if if anyone at Marist is listening to this, um, this is a little insight into Marist Women's Soccer and me and just a life of sports. So thank you. 